Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hello BRB listeners, we've got an exciting offer for you. Get an exclusive 10% discount at Book Access, Malaysia's leading book retailer. Just use the code ZAFIGO10, all caps, at checkout before 6 September 2021. It can be used store-wide except during flash sales. Happy shopping! Hi everyone, welcome back to Busy Reading Books by ZAFIGO.com. I'm Marina here talking about the places we can go through books and the very many authors who've done well around the world. So we're very, very lucky to be able to talk to so many of them here. We've been talking to and about authors in many of our neighboring countries, you know, in ASEAN solidarity and all that. But we have yet to speak to our closest neighbor down at the bottom from Singapore. And it's not that the island state is short of writers. Uh, the ones that I know, Catherine Lim, Philip Jayaratnam, Stella Korn, Alfian Sa'ad, to name a few. But the one that's got me most excited recently is Charlene Teo, who happened to have gone to the same university that I went to in the UK most recently, but has had a far more illustrious career. So... It took me a long while to pick up Ponty, her book, for several reasons, but I will explain later when I talk to Charlene. Charlene is from Singapore, as I said. She has an LLB in law from the University of Warwick and an MA in creative writing from the University of East Anglia, where she received the Booker Prize Foundation Scholarship and the David T.K. Wong Creative Writing Award. Charlene Teo's debut novel, Ponty, published by Picador in 2018, won the inaugural Deborah Rogers Writers Award, was shortlisted for the Hearst Big Book Award and Edward Stanford Fiction Award, and was also longlisted for the Jalak Prize. Her work has been translated into 11 languages and published in places such as the Times Literary Supplement, Granta, Lithub, The Guardian, Vogue, and the Dawn Books Anthology at The Pond. Welcome, Charlene. Good to have you with us this time. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's a sunny morning in London. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes, I can see the, the sun streaming in onto your hair there. <laughs> You've been keeping busy, staying I'm, in? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah. Just trying to just trying to get by, you know. Yeah, yeah. aren't we all? Yeah, exactly. London, London is opening up, and more, much more so than we over here. We're under strict lockdown here in KL. Oh, do you have curfew? Uh, not quite curfew, but we're not encouraged to go out, and a lot of things are closed, and um, but it's not really working. <laughs> But yeah, we're, we're trying to do our best. The good thing is that I can stay home and write. Is that what you've been doing? Well, I mean, to, to an extent, I've actually frankly found it quite hard to be as productive as I can in normal times. I think a lot of other writers I've spoken to actually, it's 50-50. Some people just get on with it. Other people find it quite hard. It's almost like, I, I guess there's so much uncertainty and you get information fatigue it is a kind of wide scale trauma. We've heard the phrase unprecedented times, you know, more, more times that you can count. It's, it's become a cliche and, and quite sickening to hear. Um, I know. But, but I, I think that it's that kind of combination of being gentle, being busy reading books as your podcast, yeah. <laughs> there's a great consolation in, in literature. Um, so yeah, just keeping busy. I, I was, um, I, I follow this newsletter done by this agent, uh, forget her name, Katie something, she's American. Mm -hmm. And she often talks about, you know, people pitching to her. And she said the one thing she doesn't want to read uh, is anything about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you're just so surrounded by it these days, right? And, and she said, no, no, she can't handle it. Do you, do you find that sort of fatigue in, in London among writers? I mean, or? definitely. 
Exactly. I mean, I, I, I really dread to think about the inevitable glut of COVID novels, COVID rom-coms, COVID horror <laughs> novels that are you know, going to trickle out of the woodwork over the next few years. Yeah, I'm sure. But tell me, since we're both alumni of the same university, um, how did you get there? How, how did you get the UEA? Because mine, mine is a story of coincidences, really. So, yeah, what, what's your story? How did you come to, to do creative writing after doing law? I always wanted to to go into creative writing and, and I always heard of UVA. Um, I think it's the best kind of creative writing program in the country. So when I graduated, I worked in a business publishing company for a couple of years. And actually, I really find it very beneficial to take a break and, and do something that is not related entirely to academia or writing. And because I think that that kind of exposure and that kind of um, mundane <laughs> sense of, of yeah the humdrum and the everyday really kind of informs and and always makes me grateful that now I get to do what I'm really, really passionate about. In 2012, I was always intending to do the MA when I when I turned 30, which seemed like forever <laughs> from then. Mm-hmm. Um, I would save up money every year and do it. But then um, various kind of um, events kind of came, came to head. It was, my visa was running out um, and I didn't really quite want to stay in that company because um, that would have involved quite a lot of kind of logistical obligation. Um, so I left and then I applied it to the MA. Um, but I, I didn't have, I actually didn't, I couldn't have afforded it really. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, really fortunate that I, that I got um, the full scholarship. And that's just kind of how it's rolled from there. So like, yeah, then from then on doing the, the fellowship and then um, the PhD and teaching and I really really love teaching um, so yeah no, that's, you, you taught at UEA or else I did I did yeah when I was um, doing my PhD I was I was an associate tutor there so I taught um, undergraduates um, and then since then I've um, kind of gone on to teach MA students um, and some BA students um, in, a, in a couple of universities so I'm currently at the University of Kent Ah, I was wondering where where you were. I thought you were teaching somewhere, <laughs> but yeah, the the David uh, T K Wong, um, what do you call it? Uh, award or scholarship? It's actually for fiction writers, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that was the first time I heard about UEA actually. Because a friend of mine, um, I don't know if you know him, Bernard Chorley, who lives near Norwich, is a Malaysian filmmaker. Um, I had been talking to him about wanting to go and do a writing course somewhere. It's something I've always wanted to do. I mean, I don't know how many years you had off between your BA and your MA, but I had 40. <laughs> 40 oh, <wow>. years. <laughs> yeah. So he mentioned that, um, that uh, award, a scholarship. I said, I don't write fiction. So I put it out of my mind. And then by chance, like a few months later, I just sort of, you know, procrastinated and procrastinated and then a few months in early 2018 I bumped into two people like one after the other who had done uh, the course the course that I was going to do biography and creative nonfiction. and I thought oh someone's telling me something so (laughs) I applied and to my great surprise I got it (laughs) so that's how it was that yeah you're right it it was um it was a great cause. It was nerve-wracking for me. But, yeah. I, I, but, of course, you know, we on the non-fiction side were considered like the... the in Malay, we call anak tiri, you know, the, <laughs> the stepchildren. Um, the glamorous part was all the fiction side and, and things like that. So, so did you um, already have Ponty in mind when you were when you were doing the course or would, did you start writing it there or, or what? I mean, not at all. Like, to be honest, I kind of, I've always written. Um, so since I was a, like a teenager, since I was, since I could hold a pen really, I've always written and I, I started out writing picture, picture stories when I was a kid. Um, and then I, and then I moved on to short fiction, really, really short stories as a teenager. I wrote some really cringy poetry um, and, and then flash fiction. And then it kind of just gradually got longer. So when I applied to UEA, it was, it was with a portfolio of really short fiction actually and in, in a sense I think that kind of helped helped to differentiate my portfolio because it was it was really short there was really like punchy little sad stories that kind of went nowhere <laughs> um, and so I didn't I didn't have any any idea in mind um, 
about what I was going to write or, or you know, the kind of the kind of enormity of a novel. And I think that um, particularly lifelong readers, there's this tendency to romanticize the kind of the kind of project of, of fictionalizing over over a whole book. And it's it's yeah. incredibly daunting. And, and that's why people often kind oftentimes they they kind of think, oh, I'm just gonna wait for the right moment. I'm gonna wait wait for the right idea to kind of like arrive fully formed and then I'll just I'll just transcribe it like you know like my eyes shut or whatever. <laughs> you know, wait for oh. that golden flash of inspiration. And and there's no such thing like that. So that that's really what the MA taught me. It's it's not about the ta- like having the innate talent or, or the best idea. It's about kind of sitting with the discomfort and kind of really showing up and trying as as regularly as possible to to find a feed into the idea, kind of tease it out. And also, like, I think it's like a paraphrasing Joan Didion. She says, you don't know what you're thinking until you put it down or yeah. something to that effect. Um, yeah. So it's a form of thinking. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I have to tell you this. You, you know, there's a Waterstones, right, at UEA, and they have this this shelf uh, display case where it's all UEA writers, you know, and all that, because your book is there. But I have to say that I really didn't want to pick it up for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because, okay, I will admit to this, you know, a certain um, uh, prejudice <laughs> against you know, Singaporean writers, because <laughs> I love it. I have to confess, I confess, you know, it's a whole, you know, Malaysia, Singapore thing. Because, well, I have read some, um, and I can't say I'm completely thrilled uh, with everyone, but I must say, Alfian, I love, I, I've seen Alfian's uh, plays, and he's just so good, you know. But when I saw like, oh, she's from Singapore. Oh, Ponty. Why is Ponty? Is that Italian? Is she being a pretentious Singaporean writing about Italian bridges or Carlo Ponty or something? But I have to say that one of my classmates said, no, it's really, really good. You have to read it. And I picked it up and I was so thrilled when I realized that it was short for Pontiana. And like, where did you get this idea to write about Pontiana, were, did you see a lot of movies, or did you hear Pontiana stories, or what? Well, I mean, I think I think they always say that with a like a like a debut novel is in a sense that the easiest thing to write because you spent your whole life like kind of gathering, you know, images and subliminal impressions, and and it is a kind of sum total of like you know your childhood traumas and and your fascinations, right? Kind of like turning up for an exam. The exam question is like you know really easy stuff, like you know. To tell me about what fascinates you. Then after that, the difficult second novel is a harder one because you're like, oh shit. <laughs> I've yeah, used yeah. So the story, the story goes like this, and this is this is truly what inspired Ponty. Um, is that it was one of the coldest winters in the UK in like years and years. When I was staying on campus, it was December 2012. And I was staying in this, I don't know if you ever visited, it's called the village, you know, in campus. It's quite far away, past the sports complex. And I was staying oh. in this room, right, which I call the monk's cell, because the, the bed was really like skinny and and hard and I would often like fall off it and wake up like on the floor and I really thought it was like it really felt like I really felt like some kind of ascetic monk you know <laughs> and, and I was freezing and and one day I had this I was I was half asleep and I I kind of there's this thing called a hypnic jerk you know when you when you're you're asleep and then you yeah. get a jolt. and so I had this feel jolt, like you're falling yeah, yeah I jolted awake and like probably hit my head and I had this really intense vision of this woman in a tree like she was this woman in a tree like with like white like white kind of shirt or a white dress or whatever just looking at me but I wasn't I wasn't creeped out you know I, I mean it was a bit scary right sounds um, scary yeah yeah but then I was like I was like where is it where's the image come from and then I was like oh it's so obviously like a Pontiana because um you know sometimes when I go back home to Singapore this is there's this place that's like very bougie now it's like called Dempsey Hill you know where they have like they have these like like fancy bars or whatever and every time when I'm when I've been there I've always been very like creeped out on the way back because all these big banyan trees and stuff and I've always thought like okay this is probably where the Pontianas hang out because it's kind of sexy and it's dark and whatever <laughs> so then then um that that kind of made me think like oh you know I'd really like to write a novel like I, I love the uncanny and like I, I kind of grew up um yeah really obsessed with like Angela Carter and like Shelley Jackson and stuff like that so the idea of the Southeast Asian kind of uncanny and these kinds of mythological figures who are culturally transmissible how it's how the Pontiana is so relative to Southeast Asia so you know it's an Indonesian story it's a Malaysian story it's a you know a Singaporean story 
kind of embedded in in the kind of NS, you know, those, those army boys, you know, those those kinds yeah. of stories which, which they tell, you know, they, they're at the barrack and they saw this yeah. sexy girl or, you know, they saw this, this black cat. And it's always it's always tinged with with that really kind of specific flavor of, of nostalgia. Like the, the idea that even as we're telling the story, we, we are in, in a sense trying to preserve a form of misunderstanding and superstition, which we know isn't real anymore. Because now yeah. nowadays, um, true fear is someone stealing your identity, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, you know, getting all your credit card details, for example, or, or you right. know, taking, taking your images and putting them on an Instagram account, which actually happened to one of my friends. That is, that is, you know, the kind of cultural consensus of what is truly scary right now. And in a way, the idea of ghosts and the idea of um, young women who, who, who are walking alone at night, you know, that, that there's, something, there's something outdated about it. But at the same yeah. time, also something that is timeless. Because I, I think with the Pantianak myth, I, I think it's a deeply radical myth because it's saying we're going to reconstitute the figure of, of, of harmlessness, you know, of vulnerability, which is a young, sexy woman. And, and all of a sudden, she's a predator. You should be afraid of her, right? Yeah, it, they, yeah. it was always the housewives that would tell their husbands that. So they <laughs> don't go ah, with yeah. sex, sexy woman. So, so I, all that kind of stuff fed into, in, into the idea of Ponti. And I spent my MA year and much of my fellowship year writing this first person narrative narrated by the Pontianak. And it just was really, really that, like really lousy. It was, it was like, you know, really crappy, kind of schlocky. Um, it oh. didn't really work. I thought, I thought it was, it, the writing was very much in love with itself um, and, and, and in love with, in love with its, its con- concept, you know, like um, it was, it was all excitement, but it wasn't going anywhere. And, and it was the, the idea that if you have a protagonist who's so powerful, right? Um, where do you really have to go? I, I guess you can try and take away her power, um, which, yeah. which I tried to do, but it just didn't really work, you know? Mm. Um, sorry, this is a very roundabout answer. Um, no, no, that's fine. That's great. But, um, so then then I'll get to the point. So basically, I, I, I've always really, really loved cinema. And I grew up um, kind of aware of the fringes of, you know, the P. Ramley, Pontianak films, and and the yeah. idea that there were, there were film studios in Singapore, you know, the Cathy organization, the Shaw organization. I grew yeah. up going to those cinemas, and and the idea that there were film studios um, that were just kind of now like derelict, you know, out of fashion yeah. once they started importing, you know, the Bond movies or you know, these American, American homogenized global takeover of culture. But the, yeah. the idea that there was a gap, you know, in, in history where someone could possibly have made these films and, and right. what would they be about? Pontiana, of course. So, so I was just yeah. like, oh, that's, that's really like interesting. And, and I, also, I also thought, it, um, I was also really interested in the idea of um, cultural records and, and kind of um, perception. So like how if, if you're an actor, you're always young forever in one way, yeah. right? And, and what if you're like the loved one of an actor and you see them behaving in a different way, you see them behaving in a warmer way or, or a kind of a more hopeful way. And you always have that relic of them. And, and that kind of spectator relationship is completely different to the relationship you have in the domestic space. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So then it became very much this, this kind of story of a kind of matrilineal um, relationships, you know, between mother and daughter, between daughter and friend. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically how the book came about. <laughs> so, so that means you change course. Um, I mean, in the story, with the story, like yeah. halfway through or... No. That's very brave. I mean, some people wouldn't let go, you know, but you, you really had to let go of it. Yeah, I did. I mean, also like I had deadlines, you know, <laughs> so it's sort of yeah. my, my supervisor who's wonderful was like, look, you have to send me like 5,000 words by so-and-so and you know, you don't want to mess with her. So I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I, 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 no, I was great. I just have to ask you something because I, I started reading it again today to prepare for this. And there's something about the describing the Puntiana. She wears a, an off-white dress that hugs her hips and seduces men who are traveling alone along the lampless dirt roads of Pantai Dalam. Is there a Pantai Dalam in Singapore? No, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> because there's a Pantai Dalam near here, near where I live. And hmm. they do still have lampless dirt roads. <laughs> I was thinking like, Oh my, yeah, I wouldn't walk down there and I, I wouldn't let anybody walk down there either. I don't think I meant the Pantai Dalam in Singapore. I definitely did research it, but that, that I, I'm, I'm holding my previous self to account here. That was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, I think, okay, because, I, you know, because it's, so near, <laughs> it's so near me. I thought, hey. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
But anyway, that was just a, a side uh, thing like that, you know. But yeah, no, I I I, I love the story, and I think it, I think I'm glad you changed course because I think it would be very hard to tell story from the point of view of Pontianak since none of us have ever been Pontianaks. Uh, no. I think no, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's um it's great. I I think you know. We have a lecturer in common, or a friend in common, Jean McNeil. Oh, I love her. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, yeah. I did I did one course with her, which was the non-fiction novel course. And then we become friends. She's She's been to KL, and I go and have lunch with her in London when, when I'm there. And uh, she, she said that you really have a gift for words, that your descriptions and metaphors are really exemplary you know and coming from Jean I think that's really quite something so I mean have you always been like that have you always equated things with you know to to find descriptions for them because it's something that I I don't do very well at all um I don't um, know I, I I don't know I kind of I kind of I, I think I I've always I've always written so I'm a bit of a graphomaniac so I I keep a journal and if I don't write in the journal, I feel very, very stressed out. Um, but I actually think, like, in some ways, it's it's really interesting how, like, our relationship to language um, and form naturally shifts over time. Like, if, if you keep, like, a really, really kind of close close and constant relationship with with words and with, with what you're reading and that kind of um, reading program, um, that's, that's, so, that's so, like, such high praise from Jean, who I, I really, really genuinely look up to and I, I I love I love her, her work I love yeah I love how her prose and and um some of the some of the really really intelligent things that, that she would she would say in in our workshop is is you know stuff stuff that I've kind of really sort of um remembered like her, her kind of suggestions about you know looking at memory studies and, and kind of really thinking outside of the box um and I, I think that actually that's that's probably the way that writing is going like so you were saying that you know you you and the nonfiction strand you kind of felt like the you know the kind of outliers but actually I think the future of prose in general is is going more toward the idea of the hybrid form it's going more toward the idea yeah. of narrative nonfiction autofiction um, yeah. kinds of mm. these kinds of discussions which are interesting and and kind of um, constantly evolving around authorship around um, authority around around um, kind of the intersectionals of identity positions of like who's reading who are we writing to toward who's reading, who's writing, who's responding to it. Um, and yeah. I think like, a natural a natural kind of result <laughs> of, um, I think, digital culture, of online culture, I hate to say it, social media, um, mm-hmm. our constant self-involvement, is, is the idea that the boundaries between fiction and nonfiction are changing. Totally. I personally, I, yeah, I, personally, I went to a talk um, that, that given by Ali Smith, um, I think this was during my MA, and, and actually what she said was so freeing. It was the most freeing thing I've ever heard. She said, don't, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said, don't give a shit about, like, people that accuse you, the fiction writer, of, like, you know, just just very thinly veiling your life, right? And this is often said of of women in particular, right? Yeah. As if your, your imagination is distrusted. So regardless of what genre you're writing in, even if it's nonfiction, she said, everything is fiction. <laughs> Every damn thing is fiction. So it's like you could write in your diary and you could say, today I woke up and it was sunny or whatever, right? And if you lived on the other side of my building, you were like, it was not sunny, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, actually, that's why I, I um, enjoyed Jean's class on the nonfiction novel. Because mm-hmm. it, it was really about those blurred lines, you know? It was really hard to tell sometimes with some of... What kind, of, what, kind of did you, what kind of book did you did you read on that on that course? I'm curious. Uh Seabold. Mm, yeah. Um Amit Chowdhury. Oh, we did yeah. one we did one book by Amit Chowdhury, and of course Amit Chowdhury is also a UEA uh, alumni and, and teacher. But there was one book where he, he had this character called Amit Chowdhury, who's a writer who goes to Mumbai and does all these things. And 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 he, and he insists that it wasn't him. But, you know, it, it's like really, I mean, where, where in it is, I mean, as a reader, you can't really tell. And, yeah. and you just have to take his word for it, right? That he says, this is fiction. 
And right. so it is, you know, even though even if you knew him very well and, and knew that some of these things were probably be true. It's true. Have you ever written nonfiction? I, I have written articles. Quite, um, well, I do write quite a lot of like narrative nonfiction, um, yeah. but it's more like um, essays. Um, yeah. and, and they're more like commissions. So I wouldn't really necessarily go out of my way to to kind of do that or, or kind mm-hmm. of seek that, seek that sort of assignment out. Um, I, I, I'm too kind of anxious, you know, to, 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 to define myself as a polyglot. I'm one of those people that can't, I can't do too many things at once. So I'd rather just try, I, just, I try really hard with one thing. <laughs> but if you, right. if you send me an assignment, I can do it. Like, but I'll be like, oh, you know, <laughs> with reservation. Um, but I, I really do like narrative nonfiction. And I, I, I find the idea of, um, yeah, a nonfiction novel really interesting. Like, have you read um, Akhil Sharma's Family Life? That, that was something else that came to mind when you were talking about that. So really Who, like who's that? Sorry. Akhil Sharma. Akhil Sharma. Akhil Sharma. No, I haven't. I haven't. Really beautiful, oh. beautiful and, and sad novel um, about family tragedy. Um, uh-huh. And I'm just trying to Google and check whether it was, yeah, it was, it was released as a novel. But um, it's, it, it was, was released. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I, most people must surely, I mean, write something that comes out of their lives anyway, you know, I mean, yeah. um, the amount, like, I, I just read um, Delia Owens, Where the Crawdads Sing. I've, re- I've read that, That's, that was so, so funny. Yeah, but it's, you know, the amount of research on uh, life in the swamps and things like that and all that, I mean, Surely it must be something that is already of interest to her, right? I, I keep thinking. I have, I have read um, some really interesting kind of journalism around that book, um, which I will, I, I will send you the link after, after, after the Please chat. do, please do. Yeah, I'd like to know whether she got it wrong or something. But I mean, it's so detailed. But anyway, to talk about Singaporean writers, I mean, are you very tapped in into the literary scene in Singapore? Um, I mean, I... I, I I can hardly say that I'm I'm not very involved with it because I'm so far away. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I do kind of try and keep um you know keep keep it keep up with it um as much as I can, and mm-hmm. um kind of observe it with with interest and and you know like uh, a certain amount of joy. Um, I think it seems like it's doing really well. It's in root health um, more so than when I moved to the UK uh, in 2006. It seems like there's so many more kind of publishers, there's so many more opportunities, so many more local prizes. Um, and I think I think it, in terms of, I mean, Singapore is going to be independent for 56 years this year. So it's a proper like baby, proper boomer. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Um, and um, it's fascinating really to kind of witness the kind of literary scene um, and how how that evolves and that takes place in in a country, you know, over time, and and it it only makes sense that it would take a little bit of time for for things to get established. But I think you have so many you have so many people that that really kind of champion the lit scene and really kind of make things happen, and that's that's just really exciting to see. I think that um, there's a lot of encouragement now for young writers. Um, covering different genres, different forms, different different issues. I think um, when I was growing up in Singapore, it seemed to me a very homogenized and very didactic idea of like what a Singaporean novel would be. And it was kind of a, a novel that was burdened with a big question of what was our national identity. And that's a kind of question that's going to always constantly be in flux. It's always going to constantly kind of come up anyway, in the sense that Singapore is a multilingual, multicultural country. You can't just slap one label on it without in some sense diluting or, or being disingenuous so I think now that it seems to me from what I've read um, that there's a greater sense of kind of experimental daring uh, more confidence to to kind of write um, not toward a particular soul identity uh, one you know that under the kind of heavy mantle of national literature but more more of an exploratory function um, that kind of celebrates these multiplicities and I think there's more of an open-mindedness uh, less of a rigidity. Um, there's less of a kind of traditionalism because I mean I remember my my school syllabuses. I remember you know in JC when I was reading Andrew Marvell and I was like, do I really have to read this dead poet? This dead <laughs> white. Poet? Do I really have to read him? I mean, no offense to him, but he's so dead and so white and like you know it doesn't really <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so 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 I think that there there is a real move 
in the sing singlet scene towards kind of really embracing um, difference and experimentation. And I think that's really, really promising. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what uh, in Malaysia we're also grappling with. Because, of course, we are also, you know, very diverse society and all that. But I, I don't think right now, I mean, there are lots of little, little publishers um, who are doing their thing. At, um, Amir Muhammad is one who's yeah. encouraging, you know, sort of young writers and all that. And there are actually. But um, as, a, as a whole, I don't think there's much attention being paid uh, from the bigger picture, you know, to, to literature and all that. Uh, the arts is suffering a, a great deal, I think. So Singapore, I think you are, you are probably doing it better. Uh, you have several publishers, new publishers. Epigram is there. Uh, Penguin just opened an office there uh, and, and all that. So who are some of the Singaporean writers that you think are really hot? right now <laughs> um, I think in terms of like putting putting sing Singaporean art on the map um Sunny Liu Sunny Liu is incredible and there's like the idea of like working across form like storytelling in different forms Jeremy oh. Tiang I love him um Jing Jing Lee she's she's just great um she's also a poet so she's a polyglot um Daryl Yam um Rachel Heng um Bali Kara Jaswell she's she's amazing um oh, yeah. and Theophilus Quack so there's some some people off the top of my head. <laughs> wow, that's that's quite a few, and I haven't read any of them. I think I think I've heard of Sunny Liu. Um, yeah, because um, I don't think they are promoted enough uh, in Malaysia, so I'm not sure that we get to hear about them enough. So that's that's probably you know. And where are the avenues? You know. So are you working on anything new? I I'm um, re rewriting rewriting um my second novel <laughs> rewriting yeah so I finished it last year I'm rewriting it why because it wasn't good enough so I'm going to rewrite it oh I'm going to make it better <laughs> somehow right, right so you haven't submitted it to to anyone or do you have um, my, my, my agents read it yeah mm -hmm. um so and yeah she said you have to rewrite no, she didn't actually say I had to rewrite it. Actually, it's just me, and I put this put this on myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I like I dare not look at the manuscript for my memoir anymore because I'm so afraid I will change it, and mm -hmm. it's probably a bit too late now. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure you're you're like that too. You know, you can't. If, every time you look at it, you want to do something to it and make it better. Is it another one set in Singapore, or oh, can yeah, you tell um, us? Of course, yeah, sure. Like, um, it's called Take Care. And it's um, set in several different countries. So, like, um, part of it takes place in um, a city in China. Part of it takes place in Singapore. A lot of it takes place in Singapore. Um, some of it takes place in Toronto. Um, and some of it takes place in Bali. Wow. A lot That's of traveling. <laughs> a lot of traveling. Yeah, we'll have to get you on again to talk about all these different places. So, when are you expecting it to be out? Never. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yo, don't say that. <laughs> I don't know. It's endless at this point. I don't know. Your agent's probably thinking, oh my gosh, when, when? She's just leaving me be, you know. She oh, just... that's nice. <laughs> um, and you find that having an agent useful and doing all the... It depends on the market. It depends on where you're writing from. I think definitely like if you're based in the US or the UK, um because of how those literary markets work, then it then it does make sense to, to have an agent. But I think the really um the really kind of accessible thing nowadays is that all, all submissions are online anyway. So like, you know, agents and I think agents are so much more open to works in translation. Um and I think that people are beginning to realize that um, you know, books from different different countries, you know, other uh, you know, new prizes like the Man Booker International, for example, like they really, really um, are kind of championing the idea that works in translation and works from from, from other countries and other other kind of um, um, settings that that you know we haven't previously gotten a, a kind of lot of literature from is yeah. is sort of the way forward and it, it and it's what readers respond to. So I, I actually think that it's it's quite democratic. Like I think that um, most most agents would welcome email email submissions. Yeah, in fact, that actually this this opening up 
of the publishing world to things outside the Western world has been really great, you know, because you sort of feel like, oh, okay, you know, our stories are also, you know, interesting and, and um, you know, um, that people are open to these stories as well. I'm, I'm not sure that many Malaysian writers quite realize that yet. We, we've had a few uh, young ones, but I, I think a lot of us are still thinking that, you know, who's going to read us, you know? I, and I guess the idea, the setting, you know, as long as the idea is universal, the, 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 the concept is universal. I guess I, the setting I, I I was reading this, um, I was reading an essay by, um, oh, I'm getting this brain freeze right now. <laughs> uh, I think it was Claudia Rankin. And she was saying something that actually, when, when we say in universal, are you sure we don't just mean white? Because like, it's like, you know, that, that's always kind of bandied around where they say this, yeah. you know, where, where critics, you know, it, you can see it in the reviewing of books by um, yeah. right outside of the Anglo-American sphere where they say, this is a truly universal story that transcends the boundaries of its blah, 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 which is kind of like a way of saying like, like you know, is, is universal like something that is palatable, right? Right. And what is, what is universal? In some sense, I, I think that there are many thematic and emotional preoccupations which, which make stories timeless, which, which kind of govern our fears and desires and and in some sense I think there's a universality to that but I, yeah. I think I, I do kind of take a mild issue with with the term not 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 as you used it not not, not with what you said just now but I think more in in kind of the marketing and, and the kind of reviewing and reception of books by by mm. um, people outside of particular spheres I find there's a little bit of kind of condescension <laughs> you know it's like it's like oh, yeah. If you're writing this story, you know, um, if you're writing like a, a story, you know, from this this small, you know, village in a place that we haven't heard of, it better be about, you know, bloody big things. It better be about, you know, war and brothers. <laughs> you know, right. you're, you're and, not and as long as I yeah. understand it, yeah. it's okay, you know, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to just write a small story you know, about people falling in love or like, you know, the quotidian, unless it's written by a really hot man, then people will be like, whoa, that guy is so amazing. He writes about washing his child's butt in the sink. <laughs> you know? Oh, I Actually, I just read an article uh, the other day and I forget who, yeah, it's someone who uses initials and she starts off by saying, the reason I use initials is because nobody can tell what, what my sex is. Yeah. Because it was a whole article about how women will read everything and will write we're quite open to what men write, but men are really um, hesitant about reading books by women. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. do you find that that true? Somehow they think that women writers write about things that only appeal to women, so they don't they don't want to touch it. But once they do they find it's okay, but it's just that there's a real barrier to reading books by by women somehow. I mean, I think the the, the fact is, Marina, that that simply not a lot of people read. <laughs> so, Still, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people read in in general. Like, because you were saying, like, you know, in Malaysia, you know, you kind of are thinking, how would you find readers? I just think that the fact of the matter is, like. Like, sure, people read, but it's like not a lot of people. <laughs> so we're kind of like, you know, it, I think we we kind of operating in this in this kind of um, in a sense like there's there's a tunnel vision, particularly like I think if you only hang out with other writers where like everybody knows who like Ocean Vuong is or everyone knows who Nasgard is or like who who Margaret Atwood is, you know, who's super famous. But actually, um, outside of that, it's still quite a rarefied sphere. Like like you know, it's, it's like the the book, the novel, the book in the novel, it's not dead long may it continue, right? Um, because, you know, a kind of human impulse to storytelling is, is we're just hardwired that way. So there will naturally be some people that love to read stories in that form. But I think that, you know, frankly, the more popular forms um, exist and they proliferate and, and there's more, quote unquote, global reach, say through pop music or through like yeah. the Netflix Netflix series of the moment, you know, that, and in terms of like actual numbers, like those things are the ones that really permeate cultural consciousness in, in a way that is a lot more um, kind of widespread than say the novel. But I think that what, what is what is particular, and I guess I'm only speaking about novels in this regard, is that the novel is one of the only cultural forms where like, you know, you as one thinker are com- able to communicate with your readers directly in that mm-hmm. it's 
it is collaborative once you get to the kind of editing process to an extent, but it's still kind of your ideas. And, and that's kind of why, why it's such a kind of um, sort of powerful thing and also like a, you know, valuable sort of cultural, social, social historical record of how people think and how we think through things in the form of stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I was reading um, some, I think it was Publishers Weekly was saying that, saying that they have been doing okay during this uh, <laughs> pandemic times, you know. But I think, I think people do read. It's just they're not necessarily reading books. They're reading short <laughs> Twitter, uh, Twitter messages and things like hey, that. Hey, hey, and that's, I, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not on it very much, only occasionally. Um, but yeah, I think one of the biggest problems, at least here in Malaysia for sure, is that people's attention span has decreased so much mm-hmm. that to get them to read anything long, mm-hmm. uh, a long article or a book is, is really difficult. That's why you kind of have to have some sort of sensational hope, you know. <laughs> Hopefully mine will be that <laughs> at the end of, uh, end of the year thereabouts. So who who do you read? Tell me, who do you read? Who am I reading? Who are you right reading? Now? Yeah, um, I'm working my way through Jazz by Toni Morrison, um, and I really love that book. But frankly, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so but I, I just I just love it. It's really really beautiful, um, really elliptical, really um, poetic. Uh, I'm also reading um, two novels that um, are going to come out quite soon. One of them is called Housebreaking by Colleen Hubbard. It's a really, really incredible kind of melancholic, also funny uh, novel about a woman who takes apart her house. Um, and another another book called We Are Museum by Anna Metcalf, um, which is, yeah, just like ultra contemporary, really radical and strange uh, novel. So yeah, that's what, that's what I'm currently reading. <laughs> You're reading them and they haven't come out yet. Is that, does that mean that you're reviewing them or? Um, well, Kind of not really. No, no. I, I'm I'm just reading them to kind of offer like a kind of opinion or whatever, just like you know, as an early oh. reader. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, that's that's good. And um, do you recommend any particular books to our readers? We always like to have recommendations. Um, Who do you think? I really is really, really cool. Um. I guess one of my favorite, I always recommend my favorite book, which is The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers, um, which oh. I, I think is like um, incredibly empathetic, unforgettable novel, um, quite as perfect as a novel can be. It's She only wrote it when she was like 24 or something really depressing like that. <laughs> um, oh. And I, I really, really love, um, there, there's a collection um, by a Thai writer called, called Arid Dreams and I really loved reading that because I I spent some summers in 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 Bangkok when I was a child and and it really brought me back to that um and there's a is that translated from Thai yeah it's translated by Tilted Tilted Axis who's a really really great publisher um and there's another book in translation that I loved recently called A Girl Returned by an Italian novelist called Donatella Di Pietrantonio. It's just, you know, like I love I love Elena Ferrante. I love those novels. I've I read everything that Ferrante's written. And so this 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 novel is kind of in that vein of that kind of intensity and 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 emotional kind of you know that emotional sort of convolution and and, and you know innocence to experience. Um so I love those books. And and there's also um poetry collection called when I grow up, I want to be a list of further possibilities by Chen Chen. That's really good. That's plenty. Yeah. And all of them, except for Elena Ferrante. You know, I, I read My Brilliant Friend, uh, which I found difficult, but I finished. Yeah. And a friend of mine also had the same experience, but everyone tells me the next books are, are easier. Is that is that because there's a particular Italian way of writing that is, <laughs> translates a bit, not 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 doesn't translate, but translates in a difficult way, you know. I mean, you know... This other Italian writer you're talking about? No, no, no. This is... uh, That book, A Girl Returned, is really, really thin. 
um, and really, really like kind of bracing the whole way through. I, I, I had the same response as you actually when I read My Brilliant Friend because when it came out in 2014, I was like, there was almost too much kind of hype around it. And then I, I read it and I was kind of like, well, it's okay, right? And then I was on the plane back to Singapore and um, they were sharing the My Brilliant Friend like adaptation, which is like, like all oh, in I haven't seen it. Everyone tells me it's really good. It's, incredible so basically I watched the whole thing on the flight and then I was like oh my gosh I have to know what happens next <laughs> I got, uh, I got me back to the books and I, I I read I read all the books like it you know over the next kind of like two months and 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 you really it's really just incredible like like it, it is like the perfect spot because it's both like both really literary and really beautiful on a, on a kind of linguistic level like you know Anne Goldstein's done a fantastic job with the translation um but it, it's also like unputdownable um, really kind of steeped in in kind of political and 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 cultural consciousness of of Naples at the time you know from the 50s till till closer to the present day um and and it and it's got such a huge cast of characters like I haven't I haven't read a book like that since 100 years of of solitude right? like so, many, so many so many people you know but but they're so so well characterized and and like there's yeah I just love I love those books so much I think you'll really love them Okay, there they'll be next on my on yeah. my list after this. Um, there was something about how your book Ponty has been translated into eleven languages. Nine. <laughs> Nine, okay, but still a lot. I'm curious to know what languages. Yeah, we have an Italian one, um, Dutch, French, German, Swedish, uh uh, uh Argentine Argentinian. Hebrew, um, um, I can't, yeah, I think that, yeah, <laughs> something along those lines, yeah. Have you, have you read the reviews of those translations? No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think I learned, I learned, like, I learned quite early on, like, don't, don't, read, your, read. don't read your good reads and don't read your reviews, however tempting it is. Oh, really? Well, I'm just curious to know, I, you know, whether people react differently if they come from different cultures you know do, do you have any inkling of that no no, no. <laughs> okay I, I think the life of a book like once once it's out in the world it's out of my hands and it's like not it's not really like I, I don't I don't think that it's helpful like to kind of like take anything personally anymore it's kind of like it's just got its yeah. own life it's like my right. first time <laughs> right right yeah. but they've, they've all done okay yeah yeah <laughs> Good, <laughs> good, good. Well done. So, okay, well, I'm looking forward to your next book. I hope it won't take too, too, too long. Me too. Okay. <laughs> what would motivate you? What would motivate you to get it out? I don't know. Are you, are you the sort who wakes up in the morning and has to write for a couple of hours before you do anything else? Are you doing the Stephen King thing? No, like I just, I, I'm a big fan of a slow breakfast. I just I plan uh, all my days around food. I'm like some kind of like forest creature. It's just like... <laughs> so when, when do you write? When do you write? I generally write best in the morning. Um, yeah. After yeah. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is that a discipline that you... You give yourself. Um, I think I definitely like make sure that I think about the book, and I like, you know, I think about it every day, like mm -hmm. all the time. But it, it doesn't necessarily translate to writing like a thousand words or something like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so you know, what what did you take away from your courses at UEA? I mean, if you were going to advise an aspiring novelist. Yeah. What what do you think is the most important thing that you would tell them? I think two two things. The first one would be um, what Anne Lamott calls bird by bird, little by little, right? So it's the little, it's kind of building a habit of consistency that is little by little, ignoring yeah. like comparison. So ignoring the person that that has a Twitter account that's like hashtag I'm writing like, you know, 7,000 words a day or whatever. That's fine. Like, you know, that's their own thing. Um, just yes. little by little on your own on your own pace. That's the first thing I would advise them. And the second one would be uh, don't be a dick. <laughs> don't be a dick. Meaning yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like just don't be a dick. Like just just kind of like um, 
you know, kind of hold everything lightly. Like, you know, like don't take, you know, don't be too in love with like, you know, kind of own seriousness or like don't don't be too caught up in in comparison or, you know, don't, don't be too, you know, don't don't look down on other people in your group that don't read the same stuff as you, don't write the same stuff as you. You know, I don't I don't believe in that kind of genre snobbery, like thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, the person is like not my kind of reader, so I'm not going to engage with their feedback. Every kind of feedback is valuable. Every reader, like spending time with your work is is invaluable um, in, in an age of, you know, attention deficit. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not saying like you have to take on board every single piece of critique, but um, I, I definitely think that, you know, it, 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 it is only beneficial to be kind of like a little bit open-minded about those kinds of responses at the workshop level, because then that's the way how the group improves as a whole. Are you still yeah. workshopping? Even like- uh, no, currently not. I, but I am, I am kind of intending to start a small writing group with some friends um, soon. Um, because I, I really miss that, you know. Sometimes I, I miss kind of like the, the kind of the kind of support of that, you know. And I'm, 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 I'm the one running them now. And sometimes I just want someone, someone to, to someone to workshop me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally. You know, that yeah. was the thing that I was most terrified of when I went to UEA. But they do it so well. They give you such clear instructions on how to do it. And I was lucky. I had a lovely, lovely very supportive uh, group mm-hmm. so I found it really really helpful and encouraging and everything you know so yeah. and you know it's really valuable actually having having the feedback how big was your group I think we were about 15 oh wow that's pretty big bigger it's, yeah. it's not as big as the fiction no not- but really like fiction is like I thought it was like 12 to a group for fiction Ah, really? I, I had the impression that the fiction lot were much, much bigger. I think we were about 15, but there were a couple who were part-time. I see. So there were maybe about 12 or 13 of us that were together all the time. Yeah. And we became very, very good friends, and which was nice. Anyway, Charlene, this has been a really lovely conversation. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and, and sharing all that like I said I'm looking forward to your next book I can't wait so please don't <laughs> take too long uh if you need anyone to like push you just let me know because <laughs> you know I'm a, I'm a fan and, and eager to to read it but all the best for whatever you do I do hope you're going to come back to Singapore at some point are you are you yeah I'm, I'm coming back in I'm going back for Christmas to spend time with my family and then I'm I'm definitely going to be back next summer. Um, I'm doing a residency at, at NTU, so. Ah. <laughs> oh, great. And and that's the other thing I, w- I was going to say, that NTU has a creative writing course, which is, which is I don't think we have it here in Malaysia, which is a, which is a pity, you know, because I think, now I think those courses are really helpful. Is that yeah. the same one that, who was teaching? Was it Tash or... One thing was teaching. Cash was teaching. Yeah. Oh, so that means you'll have to be in Singapore a while, unless yeah, you do it online. No, no, I'll be I'll be back for a couple of months, which I'm really, really, really looking forward to. So lovely talking to you, and thank you once again. And okay, uh, thank you, Marina. Good luck. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.